0: Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12-plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the Teaching Series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context, and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So, if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there. Welcome to part two in our new mini-series we're calling The Bread of Life. We are in the midst of the Lenten season, or the season of Lent, this period of time of preparation and intentionality taking us up to Resurrection Sunday. So I hope you had a chance to watch or to listen to last week's teaching because it set the stage for what we're going to be doing for these episodes up through Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And so the way that we ended the last episode is we talked about these stories of Jesus and bread because where we're centering ourselves for this series is around John six thirty five where it says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. And so there are these stories where Jesus is talking about bread in connection to himself and things he is doing by way of miracles. And so for this series, we're going to look at these stories and try to get an understanding of just how Jesus is using bread in order to talk about how he is the bread of life. And so this week, we are going to look at a story that is known as the feeding of the 5,000. For some of you, you know this story really well. Maybe for others of you, not so much. But here's one of the most fascinating features of this story is that it shows up in all four gospels or all four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew 14, Mark chapter six, Luke chapter nine, and John chapter six of all of the miracles Jesus does. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospels. And so this story is really significant. And we aren't going to be able to unpack all of the features of this story that makes it the main reason why it's in all four Gospels. But we're going to be able to understand a lot in today's episode. And then in subsequent episodes, we'll continue to be able to chip away at this story and other stories about bread that will help us to see more of what Jesus was doing and saying in his life and his ministry. So of the four accounts, we are going to look at Mark chapter 6. In that, I'm going to read it to you. It's only 15 verses long. If you want to follow along, great. If you just want to listen, great. It's what you want to do. But here's the context. The context is the disciples have just returned from Jesus sending them out in pairs. So they've been trained for quite a while. And Jesus sends them out in twos and they're supposed to go to towns and villages and preach and talk about the kingdom of God and, and be able to do healings. And then they're coming back now and they're reporting to Jesus what happened. And so this is like a debrief, if you will. And in verse 30, it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. All right, let's pause just real briefly. On a map here, we're in the northern part of the country around the Sea of Galilee somewhere in here, all right? I'll help you understand the location in just a little bit, but this is where the story is taking place. Then it says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they're watching them go in the boat and they go, well, they must be going to that area and then they're racing ahead to get there. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy, them themselves, and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. This is a hint that we're dealing with the spring season, because this is when things are really green in the Galilee, because we're on the heels of the rainy season. And then it says this. So the people sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish. Notice how specific Mark is being here. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute them to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000, which means that there are definitely women and children here as well. You're talking about seven, eight, nine, maybe 10,000 people that Jesus feeds. And we get done with this story and we go... How fascinating that Jesus does this miracle, and there's all these people that are sitting and listening to him teach, and at the end of the day, Jesus takes some bread, he takes some fish, he multiplies it, and they have something to eat, and there are leftovers, and we sit and we marvel at that as well we should. But friends, there's more going on in the story. And I mentioned how intentional Mark was about the numbers. And this is something we are going to see in subsequent episodes, is that Jesus, on one very significant occasion, is going to ask the disciples about how many basketfuls of bread they picked up at this feeding of the 5,000 men, which was obviously besides women and children. And so Jesus is going to be intentional about discussing numbers. So I believe we also need to get an understanding of what's going on in this story to understand a future story that is going to come in this series. The disciples pick up 12 basketfuls of bread. Now, here's what you need to understand about numbers. In the Bible, yes, they are quantitative, meaning they're actual numbers. There were 12 basketfuls, but it's not just a quantitative value. There is also a qualitative value, meaning there is meaning with the numbers. Now, for some of you, maybe you've done studies in this and numerology, and maybe for some of you, you're a little bit, you know, queasy about this or a little bit hesitant about that. We do know that numbers were significant to the Jewish people, and there's lots of examples in a lot of different areas that we're able to surmise that. But let me help you to understand what Jesus is going to be doing in a future teaching that the disciples were already starting to understand or were supposed to be understanding in the of this story 12 is a very significant number so if if i was to ask you where does 12 show up in the bible like if jesus is feeding all these people and there's 12 baskets and it's not just about 12 baskets but there's a qualitative value there's meaning to it what would the 12 symbolize most of you immediately would go oh that's like the 12 tribes of israel right that moses leads And you would be right on because 12 is a number of community that represents the Israelite people. In Jesus's day, it's the Jewish people. And because Jesus is living out Israel's story, Jesus also snags 12 disciples. He's living out Israel's story a new, and because 12 was a number for the Israelite people, Jesus also will take 12 disciples. So 12 is a number that's really, really important. And then we step back and say, well, if the numbers are being intentional here, what other numbers do we get in the story? You go, well, we get five loaves and 5,000, right? The common denominator in these is five. And if you were to ask a Jewish person, hey, what's the significance of five? They would go, oh, that's the five books of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In fact, Matthew, who is helping us to see in his gospel account, That Jesus is a second Moses leading a new Exodus, organizes the teachings of Jesus in five segments in the Gospel of Matthew to coincide with the five books of Moses. And so God gives Israel his commandments, his Torah, his teachings, his instructions, and they're recorded in the five books of Moses. And so you have this understanding that the word of God is connected to bread because, right, we've got five loaves of bread, but it's not just Jesus who's making some kind of a connection or that the disciples would have made some kind of connection. The connection is already being made in Deuteronomy. So notice with me chapter 8, verse 3. We looked at this briefly last week. Moses is speaking and he says, he about God humbled you, Israel, to the people, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, bread, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Israel is released from their slavery. They go out into the desert. They come to Mount Sinai, God provides for them manna, they've now got bread, but the point isn't the bread, it's that the bread is talking about something much bigger than that. And so God's word and bread are linked together. And so we see this in the five loaves. And I also believe we see this in the two fish as well. That again, if you were to ask someone who knows their Hebrew scriptures really well, and you go, hey, in connection to God's word, what would two symbolize to you? Somebody would go, oh, wait a minute. Like, that's Exodus 31:18." When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So God makes a covenant with Israel. He marries the people at Mount Sinai. He gives them his teachings, his instructions, and all of that is represented in the two tablets And so all of these numbers are helping us see this is connecting us in to Israel and to Israel's story. Now, let's go back to the location for a moment. I don't have the passage up here, but in Luke, it tells us that they are in the area near Bethsaida. Now, we don't know for certain exactly if we are west or east of Betseada, and there's another aspect to there could be a Betseada Julius and then also a Bethsaida in Galilee, which is an, its own interesting, fun conversation, but I won't make that you know something you have to endure right now. But it's happening either up here or it's happening over here. It's somewhere in this area, and we are able to surmise that based on what happens immediately after the story, as well as some details that the gospel writers give us as well. But we do know it's happening somewhere in here. Now, let me just show you a photo. If it's happening right here, here is your view to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Right? Isn't that just absolutely stunning? So, it's up here on a mountainside, looking down here to the plain, Bethsaida is right over here, or at least Bethsaida Julius, which is the archaeological excavation. Um, There's another one um, down here on the water that may be um, either connected or just shares the same name but has a different component to it. Again, I won't labor you um, with all of that, but if we are over here, here's the view looking to the west. And so perhaps then it takes place somewhere right down here. Uh, Just to kind of give you another idea of just how the look and feel is, here is some drone footage um, that we took on our last trip to, to Israel. My buddy Mark took this. And so this is on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, looking west here and looking down on the plain here. And again, maybe the feedings took place down there, but we don't know specifically which mountain but we know the location. It is somewhere in this area. And here's what's so cool about this in connection to all the numbers we've been talking about is that friends, this is a Jewish area, a predominantly Jewish area. In fact, as you read in the gospels, the majority of Jesus's miracles happen between Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. Okay? It's plain as day in the Gospels, and this has been called the Evangelical Triangle. A guy by the name of um, Bargel Pixner um, indicated this or, or came up with this title, but that the majority of Jesus' miracles, of all the miracles Jesus does, probably 80-90% to of them take place in this little triangle because this whole area is predominantly Jewish people. And so when you take all of this into consideration, and then you add a few more details very briefly here, notice John 6 verses 3 through 4, Jesus went up on the mountain. So in John's rendition, he's telling us that Jesus goes up on a mountain. That is really significant. Where did God meet with Moses? Where did God meet with Israel? At Mount Sinai. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Passover takes place in the spring, right? We've got the green grass, Mark tells us. In fact, the gospel writers tell us that there is grass, um, which is significant because lots of places in Israel it's desert and it's not grass. But Passover is the season where you are reminded how God rescued and redeemed you from your slavery in Egypt, how he brought you into the desert, provided for your needs with manna, met with you at Mount Sinai, married you, gave you the two tablets of the covenant, and also sustained you in the midst of your vulnerable experience. And at this time, Israel is enslaved to Um, Rome, and they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a second Moses to lead a new exodus. And so all these pieces are starting to come together. In Mark 6.32, we read this. It says that when they went away in the boat, they went to a secluded place. Now, the word secluded place here is this Greek phrase, raymon topon, And tapon just means place, but raymon, the root word is aremos, is a word that means secluded. Yes, that's an accurate translation. We know that the grass is green at this point, and so it's not a desert location, but it's a word that can also mean desert, desolate wilderness or desert. And the reason why this is significant is that in roughly 200 B.C., we have something created called the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was translated into Greek. And when they talked about the desert experience that Israel had in the Sinai Desert, the phrase they used was this one in the Greek. And so even the linguistic connection is throwing us back into Israel's story. And then one other piece is this. In Mark 640, we read this. So Jesus had the disciples sit the people down in groups of hundreds and 50s. Again, the number is very specific. And you go, does this show up anywhere in the Bible? And you go, no way it does. In Exodus eighteen twenty-one, while they're in the Sinai Desert, this is how Moses organizes the people. And so when you just look at all of these details that we've looked at, it's Passover. We're dealing with a mountain. It's in a secluded area that gets translated as desert, as it is in the Sinai Desert in the Septuagint. Hundreds and fifties, how Moses organized them, five and two, five loaves of bread, two fish. Two numbers that connect us into the word of God and the covenant of God. And when God gave his covenant, he gave his words. Twelve, which is distinctly a Jewish number. And bread, Jesus is providing them bread, but he is speaking so much more into this. You go, no way, Jesus is providing for the Jews. That when it comes to this story, it's not just about Jesus giving people bread. It's about Jesus making a bold proclamation that the people are trying to figure out as that in Jesus giving bread, he is giving so much more to the Jewish people. He is saying, I am here to provide for you because I am the one who was to come. And the feeding is an indication of Jesus making that proclamation. And so this is something that I want to come back to in two episodes from now. But what I simply want to do for us in just the midst of this is to go, what's one thing that we can just take away other than all of the amazing connections and how deep the story goes? And again, we've got more pieces that we need to put together in future episodes. But one of the things that for me that's just so fascinating is all the details is just when you look at all of the details and you see Jesus providing for the people, you see how intentional Jesus is. And he provides for the people in the midst of their needs, both their longing for teaching, their longing for life instruction, but then also when they have these physical needs, Jesus meets them there with the physical needs. But there's one other small contextual piece that's actually a big piece that I failed to mention intentionally, and that is this. It's not only the context that the disciples are coming back from going out in twos, it's also that this whole story takes place on the heels of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, being murdered. And Jesus, no doubt, is absolutely heartbroken, over this. John was the forerunner for him as the Messiah. He was preparing the way. Jesus knew that the fate of John would be his fate as well, because when you go around preaching about the kingdom of heaven the way that Jesus and John did, that will get you killed. And Jesus, it's not just the fact that John was a forerunner, it's also that this was Jesus's cousin. And in the midst of Jesus's mourning, in the midst of his heartache, in the midst of his pain, Jesus provides for the needs of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And it just reminds me that the heart of Jesus is that Jesus is someone who cares. And Jesus is someone who who cares deeply about the details of our life, that cares deeply about what we may be going through, and that even in the midst of his own pain and his own heartache that he was experiencing on this mountain on this particular day 2,000 years ago, he saw all the people and he had compassion because this is a Jesus who cares deeply about all of us. And friends, this is what I hope that we can take away today is to be reminded about just who Jesus is. And that in this Lenten season, as we are moving towards the cross, as we are moving towards the empty tomb, as we are moving towards the reminder that Jesus gave his life for us, we are reminded in this moment he cares about the intricacies of our life. He cares about the details and he is going to provide for us. So friends, I pray you hold on to that tightly as we navigate through this Lenten season, as we continue to unpack these stories. And I hope you found this to be really encouraging today. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to tackle the feeding of the 4,000, which feels a lot like deja vu until you get into the details. We'll see you then. Until then, may you walk out the text well in your life.